Hi, my name's Anisha. And my name's Brandon. Welcome to BBS Mindful Minutes. Love is in the air as Valentine's Day is upon us. We are celebrating all forms of relationships we have with our friends, families, partners, and friendly faces. We invited Dr. Heidi Kane, Director of the Close Relationships and Health Lab, to discuss the building blocks of relationships. We also talk about how relationships affect our emotional and physiological well-being. Dr. Kane gives us some advice on maintaining healthy and supportive relationships, as well as how to navigate conflict that arises within relationships. So get struck by Cupid's bow and enjoy the show. Kane, thank you so much for being on this episode for Valentine's Day. Can you introduce yourself to the audience and explain a little bit about your research background and what motivated you to study relationships? Sure. Thanks. And thanks for having me today. Um, in terms of um, who I am, I'm a, so I consider myself a social health psychologist. So my background and training is in social psychology with a focus on close relationships and then I've also done some training in health psychology in a postdoc. And my work really combines the two. So I'm really interested in understanding how close relationships are related to health. And my work primarily focuses on romantic relationships, but lately we've been broadening out into more family relationships, which is really exciting. So what motivated my interest in this work really is for the relationships piece, Romantic relationships for me, and I think for a lot of people, are just in, intrinsically interesting. They're a huge part of our lives and sort of understanding them and how they operate and how they work is just really fascinating to me. And I had the great fortune of working with Dr. Nancy Collins at UCSB, who studies attachment theory and support in relationships. And so that really, that combined with thinking about health and a book that sort of changed my life and research trajectory, I would say, is this book by Robert Sapolsky called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And it's basically a book about how chronic stress can wreak havoc on our physical health. And so from there, I really started to think about how relationships can be a source of stress, but also a place that can help buffer and um, buffer the effects of stress on our physical health and be a source of strength and thriving in our lives. Wow, that's amazing. I love that you got inspiration from a book and tried to incorporate how the stress manifests in the body and what we can do in relationships, how relationships basically reduces the stress or at least tries to work out the stress. As someone who's studied relationships for so many years, what are the building blocks of a relationship? So in in thinking about relationships, as I thought about this, I think like one of the primary components of a relationship is the formation of an attachment. So when we think about attachment, we have different attachment figures in our lives. When we're young, those attachment figures tend to be parents or parental figures. And as we age, we form attachments in adolescence with friends and then with close others, romantic partners. And what is the 
basis of an attachment is that we use our attachment figures as a secure base. So someone who we know is there for us so we could go out and try new things and experience the world, knowing that if something were to happen during that, those kind of challenging or scarier times, we could always, the person would be there for us. And we also use our attachment figures as what's known as a safe haven, that when we are afraid or frightened or stressed, we can go to our attachment figures for for comfort and support. And another one of the hallmarks of forming these attachments is then with these relationships, when we're separated from our attachment figures, this can cause distress. And so I think this distress really highlights the importance of these types of relationships. And as you mentioned, that your research is kind of formed on the basis of this attachment style theory. There's many different types of relationships that we can form those attachments with. You mentioned mothers, friends, romantic partners. So what are the kind of basic forms of relationships that exist out there that you've studied? So I've, I've actually primarily studied romantic relationships. But if we think about relation, there's all kinds of relationships that you can form with others. So there's, as you talked about, friendships. There's family relationships, so having relationships with with parents, grandparents, sibling sibling relationships, and I mean, if you think about those, are kind of all the the close relationships that we think about, and then more broadly, there's work relationships, so how you interact with your coworkers, there's acquaintances, so there's all like different types of relationships. And you can even you inform, there's some people applying things that we have learned in relationship science to patient provider communication and what you could do in that cause so of the relationship you form with your doctor or your physician and what, you know, what you can do in those relationships so that people are more likely to come back and seek medical care, follow the doctor's advice, take their medicine, that kind of thing. Well, this question that I'm going to ask seems so simple, but I feel like it's often overlooked. So I like to ask, why do we need relationships with other people? And specifically, how does it affect our physiological and emotional well-being, since that is the center of your research? Yeah, so we have a fundamental, and um, some other researchers have argued, and I agree, that we have a fundamental, what they call need to belong or we have this basic human motive to form relationships. And part of the reason that we might have this, if you're thinking from an evolutionary perspective, is that evolutionarily speaking, we're more likely to survive and reproduce when we're in groups, especially being in groups is more protective. You're able to gather more resources, be protected from threats in the environment, And so it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective that a mechanism would have evolved over time to keep us in groups and to desire relationships with other people. So from from that perspective and from, as I mentioned, that one thing that is sort of a hallmark of close relationships is that when they're disrupted or when you're separated from others, and and I just want to clear not just like oh my partner's in the other room or someone went off to work today but like 
<laughs> bigger separations, um, that those often can cause distress or discomfort and, and poor health. So there's a lot of research showing that, and I talk about this in my classes all the time, but from that feeling that others are there for you and that you're supported, that um, that has the same effect on mortality or how long you live as things like smoking and other health behaviors that we deem really important for our health. And whereas the on the flip side, loneliness, feeling or perceiving that that you don't have those close attachments or those close friendships, that other people don't understand you, that that is associated with risk of early all-cause mortality and through a number of different mechanisms, but that it's just associated with poor health outcomes. You know, what I find so fascinating about your research, especially in relationships pertaining to health, is this kind of dichotomy between a healthy relationship being beneficial and a maybe not so healthy relationship being detrimental to your health and well-being. So I wanted to ask for everyone listening, what are some characteristics of healthy and supportive relationships and what are some potential red flags to look out for? So I think in terms of relationships, I mean, you could talk about a a whole host of things. So I'll just I'll just pick a few. Uh, But the um, in terms of a hallmark of a really healthy relationship, one of the keys is communication and how you navigate conflict with your I I say partner because I'm so used to studying romantic relationships, but with your friend or or your partner or your or your family members. But um, how you how you navigate conflict with them, uh, how you navigate disagreements or accommodate other people, your close, I'll say just close other. How about that? Close others. Uh, negative behavior because we all have times when we may forget that we're supposed to meet someone or that we're late or that we snap at each other. In fact, even my my son earlier, he was really upset because he accidentally traded a very valuable Pokemon card that he doesn't didn't know it was so valuable. And he in return received less significantly less valuable Pokemon cards. And he got really angry with me later that night about something unrelated. And then later he was like, mommy, I'm not really mad at you. I'm just really upset about Pokemon card. <laughs> so, so in those cases, so like, it's a different type of relationship because as a parent, it is my job to be like, okay, he's having a really bad time. I'm not going to take it personally that he's like just so angry at me and telling I'm the worst person in the world because I know that he doesn't really mean it. That's part of my job as a parent is not to take that personally. <laughs> but in our romantic relationships, when you're on a more and in our friendships, when you're on a more even playing field where, you know, those things could have more more meaning that it is important to say like, oh, what's happening? Are they having a bad day? Um, like maybe this is, does not, I don't have to take this as personally and escalate this up and respond in like more negative and kind. So that is uh, one of the keys. And one thing I thought I would mention in terms of conflict communication is that John Gottman has labeled kind of different types of conflict communication. And he does study um, romantic couples, but uh, is the four horse, what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this just means that when he sees these behaviors in couples, when they're in conflict, that he can 
oftentimes predict with a um, in his studies with about an 80% likelihood of whether or not they will be divorced later. And these are things like criticizing, showing contempt, being defensive. So not hearing like when someone does have a like, this bothers me when you do this, being defensive about it. And then also stonewalling. So not engaging in the conflict at all. Wow. So just kind of adding on to that question or that answer. So what are some ways then we can counter the red flags or at least be more aware of when we're criticizing our partner or a friend or a parent and just being there because it does take two people to tango or like two people in the relationship to 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 have it as healthy as can be so coming back to that what are some ways we can show up for the people that we love in our life so Part of it is, I think in really one of the key things in a relationship is being responsive to our close others. And what that means is, is showing caring and support, but also showing understanding of who that person is and where they're coming from and validating who they are and their beliefs. And so I think in terms of being, um, like that is at its core what promotes closeness in relationships and we, we and others would argue sort of thriving in relationships and for individuals in those relationships. But so that's like one key thing, which I know kind of sounds like really hard. Well, how do I show understanding and how do I, how do I do all those things? So those are, you know, there takes a lot of skills and motivation and capacity to do that. So when we're really overwhelmed and we're overworked and we're tired, it's really easy to, uh, to kind of jump into some of more of the negative spirals and not take a step back and say, oh, you know, try and, so one way that people try and cut conflict is sometimes through use of humor or the other de-escalating strategies to bring it back down. But when we are tired, then those things may be less likely to happen. But in conflict, one of the best things we could do is actually listen. So one thing that happens in conflict is when someone is arguing, the other person is already thinking about what they want to say and is not actually listening to the person. And so active listening and um, some more concrete advice is using I statements. So instead of saying, you make me feel like X, Y, Z, I, I feel like X, Y, Z when this happens. So kind of taking it back a little bit. So from conducting years of research and studying all forms of relationships from mother to child to romantic relationships and friendships, what are three things that you wish people would know about relationships? So I thought, so I know you gave me these questions a little bit in advance. So I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm like, what, what are the three things that I would want people to know in relationships? And one of the, so one of them that I thought of is that even in happy relationships and healthy relationships, conflict occurs. So a happy, healthy relationship doesn't mean there's no conflict because relationships at their core, people are, the term we use is interdependent, meaning that 
my thoughts, feelings, behaviors, actions affect my close others, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, actions, and vice versa. So we are intimately tied. And there's going to be many times when our goals and our needs are going to be in conflict. So if you think about um, like at the basics in a friendship, one friend wants to see one movie and the other friend wants to see the other movie. And so you have to figure out what movie you're going to go see to bigger things, right? In a couple dream job is in city A for one partner and dream job is in city B for the other partner. And how do you navigate that? So there's going to be everyday conflicts that occur as well as bigger conflicts and just recognizing that conflict in and of itself is not a negative for a relationship, but it's more how those conf- how people engage in those conflicts. So, and sometimes, I guess I talked about like poor conflict behaviors can kind of sort of spiral out of control. You have this negative reciprocity, which just means I'm negative and then my partner's negative and kind or friend. You know, a lot of times being able to negotiate those conflicts, to accommodate our partners when they have transgressed against us, meaning that we're willing to accept that that transgression occurred and their apology or whatever circumstances occurred to let that happen, or that, you know, partners sacrificing for one another, um, whether it be you, all right, we'll go see the action movie that I don't want to see, or I'll move to city B because there'll be something else for me there. All of those things can bring people closer together. Uh, So navigating conflict actually can make relationships stronger when it's done constructively and to sort of expect conflict in relationships. It would be impossible not to have it. The other thing I would say is that, and I mentioned this before, is that responsiveness is really just a key component of relationships across the board in romantic relationships, in in friendships, in um, family relationships. And it's one of the things that's being studied, as I mentioned, in terms of like even doctor-patient relationships. So it's kind of a fundamental part of relationships. And then a, a third one I would say is that I think um, and I, this is just more to highlight that there are many reasons that people stay in unhappy relationships. So we think that, oh, if I'm unhappy in this relationship, I'm going to leave it. And there's a lot of factors that are involved in why people stay in unhappy relationships. And I just think acknowledging that is important so that we, so that we can understand why those things occur and can help support people to exit those relationships when needed. I think we tend to, there can sometimes be blame on people for when they stay in an, like that an outsider can look in and see that this is not a good relationship or they're unhappy and people can put more blame on that and say like, in terms of like that person, those choices leading to them having these poor outcomes, but I think that recognizing that people stay in unhappy relationships for many reasons, whether it be because they perceive they don't have any other options. So just to make that broad, it's not just in romantic relationships, but in friendships that there's no one else that can be my friend and I need a friend or that they don't have the financial resources to break away from that relationship. And there's just a lot of different components as to why 
someone might stay in an unhealthy or unhappy relationship. And so kind of recognizing that. And then um, I think the flip side of that is then providing those supports for people, friends, family members, whatever, so that they can leave those either unhealthy or just relationships that are unhappy. Thank you so much for um, coming on our Valentine's Day special. We're so excited to have people on campus to listen to this or people, just whoever has Spotify or Apple Music <laughs> to listen and just to understand how relationships not only affect our physiological well-being, but also our emotional well-being and how we can show up for people, whether they're in unsupportive relationships or if they need that support. And that is the basic building block of humanity is relationships. That's how we evolved and how we survived for so long. So thank you so, so much, Dr. Kane. Any last words you'd like to um, say? No, I don't think so, but I'd like to thank you both. This was, this was a, a very fun experience. So thank Yay. you. <laughs> We're so happy. Yay. Okay. Well, have a fabulous Valentine's Day and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. again, Dr. Heidi Kane for giving all of us insight into relationships and how it affects our physical and emotional well-being. We hope you enjoyed this love-filled episode. And if you did, share it with someone you think will love this one too. Let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to listen to next on our BBS HD Instagram or by filling out our survey. The link to both will be in the description. If you'd like to read more about Dr. Kane's research, her website is also linked in the description. This episode is brought to you by the UTD School of Behavioral and Brain Sciences. To listen to more episodes, follow BBS Mindful Minutes wherever you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned.